I don't know exactly what there is after this. So if this is my one time during existence, it's like, do you really want to spend it with your fucking knee on somebody's neck? All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, welcome to Madcap. My name is David Ross. And I'm Daniel Bloom. Yes. We're here. Oh, there's a, is that a dog? We're here in the park. Rock Creek Park here yeah. in Washington, D.C. Doing it in the park. <laughs> Doing it after dark. <laughs> so we're here recording a Madcap episode just between the two of us, yeah. the founders, because we've been chatting recently and the world has gotten so upside down and so much has changed that it's just time to check in. And... What were some of your ideas, David, on why you wanted to get together today? Boredom, loneliness, uh-huh. you know? Yeah. Um, one thing that we've all been forced to do is think deeply about what is important to us or what provides us the most value, you know? And, um, and I was like, you know, if there's one thing that I can do. I mean, it would be, we'd be remiss if, we, if, if this period of time uh, went by and I didn't talk to Daniel Bloom about everything that's going on because it ain't like... I guess I guess these times are relatively normal, you know. <laughs> I mean, it, it, you know, this so is like, not a normal weekend. This yeah, is not no, a normal Sunday. No, it's not. It's not. It's not. Um, so I mean, like that's kind of why. Just like the where we are in the globe is is very unique. And yeah, yeah. Well, you so. seem you seem to be doing pretty well. I mean, you look healthy. I'm you, trying running, running. That's yeah. good. I've heard it described that there are five major crises going on in America. I think the pandemic and George Floyd's murder and the endemic murder of black and people of color yeah. at the hands of the police that has reached ahead uh-huh. for a lot of different reasons. And it is, I think, fascinating, interesting, and maybe important that these two events are taking place together. Yeah. Have you thought about that? Um, I trailed off cause I started thinking about the murder of our democracy as well. That's a big one. Yeah. That's, that's happening too as federal Troops continue to kind of flood into places like Portland and Seattle. Yeah, Trump's little Trump's little baby military. Um, well, it's not just Trump's. I mean, if, yeah. if we trace this back, there was an interesting article in the New Yorker by Masha Gessen who said the Department of Homeland Security was always destined to become this. Yeah, like when you set this up, an unscrupulous leader will end up taking advantage of it. So it's it's a real lesson for us to like not react in poor ways when big crises hit us. Did you read that uh, a, a former senator, um, uh, I think her name is Barbara something. Barbara Boxer. Yeah, did you she read said, her? She said that she wouldn't Yeah, she was like, I don't it. know why I voted for this. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, and I think a part of it was Islamophobia and people lost their critical faculties. And at that moment, you know, not everybody that's listening to this was around during 9-11, but I think we may remember just how quick people were to put our long-held civil liberties and our civil rights and our, our really important tenets, just put them in the background and say, no, what we have to do is go get these people who just did this thing to us. Yeah. People were really badly misled, and this tool was created in a moment of panic, yeah. not a moment of reason. So yeah. now here we are with a person on top of the government who doesn't respect the norms and the spirit of our democracy. So, not at all. And, not- and it turns out we were relying on that. <laughs> maybe more than we knew you know like we we ta- we tout our checks and balances but ultimately it comes down to people and their willingness to or not to respect the country and the history yeah. and the the constitution yeah it's crazy because people could have deviated there's always the opportunity to deviate from that you know um i feel like nobody nobody had the support and the yeah. balls to do it. Well, Bar- or, or Barbara, the moral Lee, corruption. Barbara Lee was the only member of Congress, including Bernie Sanders, who voted against the Afghanistan war. Mm-hmm. A lot of people voted against the Iraq war and have made hay of, out of that in political circles for years. But give, let's give Barbara Lee, Congresswoman from Oakland, her respect because she uh-huh. saw through this bullshit yeah. from the very beginning. So pandemic, let's back up for a half second here. Yeah. I think it's fascinating that you've got Dr. Fauci and he's not a perfect person but he is a representative of what Trump and his ilk would have been derisively referring to as the deep state yeah. for the last three years. Yeah. He has been in Washington in some capacity for like 40, 45 years. <laughs> and he's been in Washington. His, his, his mind has been in Washington his entire life. And he's like, 
it's just fascinating to me that like in this moment and they can't even now when they need him so badly, they can't even help from vilifying him now. Yeah. And why? Because he's out here trying to do his job. So we've got sycophants misusing the government versus people who, for the most part, just want to do their job and take care of their fellow countrymen. Yeah. Yeah. They can't, they can't, they can't stop. It's, 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 it's impressive. I guess it's not impressive. I mean, like, uh, it <laughs> it's is, almost impressive. Yeah. It, it's, it's just like textbook bad behavior. We shouldn't be impressed. We shouldn't be surprised anymore. To me, that is out the window. Uh, just ac- accept it. Predict that the behavior will be be unimaginable and, and creatively bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, like on, on genius level creativity, uh, you know, say in terms of on the other side. Yeah. Uh, a, mis- a misuse of great creativity. Exactly. It's like if y'all focus on other stuff. <laughs> no, imagine. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be they'd, they'd kill it. Um, I just have a question for you. I've uh, been thinking about this dichotomy of, like, I think in some ways the coronavirus was the perfect test of our individualistic American society. Mm-hmm. And we have risen to tests like this in the past, notably the world wars, when, if you think about it, it's kind of amazing. It, you know, war is a competition in a lot of ways, but it's also a competition of organization and of togetherness. Mm-hmm. Can a society get together and take on another country? Yeah. And at one point, our, in terms of the American, and because I think of myself as a global citizen. but I don't if you think want, we could do that right now. No, we're not. That's, <laughs> that's my point, is that in a moment, like in World War II, you wouldn't have necessarily thought, oh, wow, this kind of ragtag country is going to be able to get itself together and become the manufacturing powerhouse of the world, and in doing so, win uh, World War II. That yeah. wasn't necessarily a given, but the Americans of that now called, quote, greatest generation, yeah, they rose to the challenge, and they did it, and they, you know, ended up having an American-dominated century after it. This is a similar challenge, and we are failing in the worst possible way. And it's not even fair to refer to it as a war, because war is immoral and should never happen, but it's difficult. Yeah. Putting on a mask and staying six feet away from your friends for two weeks should not be difficult. But it was a test. Are we willing to listen to scientists over bad politicians and propaganda... And can we make relatively small sacrifices for each other for just two weeks? And the answer was a resounding no. It's been no as loud as possible for most corners of this country. Yeah. I would say they are large asks because you also got to take into account circumstance. Some individuals are in a shitty circumstance. So, like, imagine self-quarantine may not be a a good situation. Mm -hmm. Um, But that does not account for everybody that was out was out in the streets, you know what I'm saying? Like a lot of people were just like just like fuck it, fuck this, fuck everything you're talking about. We don't believe it or it's a it's a black man's disease or you know, co- you know colored per- colored people die from this. I mean, the, the think about the narrative of this thing when it first started. First of all, it looked like just rich people got it, you know? Just people that cuz like when Tom Hanks got it, we just thought it was just people that were just flying all over the place. Then then it went then it went to like New York. Yeah. And then it showed the health disparities and then and then and then and then a lot of whites were like, "All right, we can breathe." And now we know that it actually it, it does not have a bias you know and the governors though the governors of these states didn't help matters the governors of florida and georgia and texas should have seen what was going california frankly should have seen what was going on with new york and acted in a serious way and they didn't so you know you need leadership at every level and we have been bereft of it and i'm not saying that every governor did a bad job but like without the federal government it's up to the states and it, it shouldn't be that way because we are Last time I checked, still the United States of America. We're still a country. And if we're not a country anymore... Do you think it was because of population density? Like, they look like, like a state like California will look at New York and be like, look how many people they have on that, on that you know what I'm saying? Well, California is an interesting case because they did take it seriously for a while. And then things started to open up again preemptively yeah. before yeah. they should have. And But at the, at the same time, I think the reopening question is a little bit of a false choice because... We wouldn't have to shut down our entire economy if we were able to test. There's studies that have suggested if we were able to test 30 million people a day and do legitimate contact tracing, we wouldn't have to shut down our economy at all because we would have the data to understand who's sick and who needs to be quarantined. And everybody else can go about their business. So either testing slash tracing or universal masking would be enough. We don't have to shut down the economy if we had done these things. But yeah. this is another classic American thing, right? And it reminds me of healthcare. Preventive healthcare means taking care of things along the way and 
spending little bits of money as investments before it gets to blow up in your face and now yeah. you have to go to the emergency room. Yeah. We're America's in the emergency room right yeah. now because we failed to invest all along, even just this one year, from January to March. If we had done the right things, we'd be in a completely different position now. Yeah. Instead we're looking at almost 150,000 Americans dead. Can you imagine 150? Yeah. yeah. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as a share of percentage of a, the population, it's not huge, but just... Yeah, those bodies were in, this, in, this, in these woods that would look like a lot... That'd be a lot of fucking people. So, in the midst of all this, it's Memorial Day is circled often as one key turning point where governors didn't treat it right, the president didn't treat it right, people didn't take it seriously, and Memorial Day is the traditional start to summertime. Yeah. Memorial Day was the day that George Floyd was murdered. This story is, it's one story. It's the story of 2020. I know. But at the same time, I think me media and some commentators get it wrong when they're like, oh yeah, these protests are in response to the killing of George Floyd. Yeah. Yeah. I saw, I saw Barr was like, it was, the response was a little extreme. I'm yeah. Just, it's called 400 years, Barr. Like this yeah. is not, this is the latest of a series unabated yeah, I'm like, fuck these people. Uh, you know, I mean, yeah. It's, so, it, what are your thoughts? I mean... On Mr. Floyd? Or sure. every, everything uh, on, being... On, on 2020? On, on Mr. Floyd and... 2020, lo losing Regis Feldman and everything, you know? Yeah, pulling <laughs> out for, for Regis as well. <laughs> um, you look throughout history and, and look at, like, um, devastating periods of time, you know? And you're like, like, wow, like, that was a tough year for, for Germany or so-and-so. And it's just like... This will be forever be remembered as a tough year for America. Funnily enough, I actually bought the domain name, The War of 2020. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> I did. Um, I, don't, I don't know what my thoughts are uh, anymore. Especially, I, f I, feel so, I feel so bad that we've been pushed to this moment. Um, I, f I feel like some of the, some of the uh, results that came from it have been, have been um, beautiful to see. But also, but some of but some of the response has, has also been dark, in, especially in terms of like just how uh, how much people like are doubling down, in, like when, when protesters are, are are fighting for for Joy, George Floyd or like Breonna Taylor or like these other people. Then again, I guess I can't say I'm surprised though. I like the fact that you are so <laughs> you're a student of history, and so that's why you're not surprised by a lot of this stuff. No, I mean I feel like just folks are just like. Ex exhausted you know i'm like what am, like what am i supposed to do throw a rock against like or like throw a brick against the wall or something like like you know what i'm saying punch the mirror uh like i don't know first of all i re remind myself that uh we are not the only uh pocket of the globe to be going through some sort of social struggle um True. that that happens if any if anything we are we are more on the level of 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 these places that we've we've bombed the shit out of you <laughs> know and things like that yeah, um yeah I mean, think about all these people we knew, especially folks who immigrated here. You listen to their parents talk about, like, just a world of political strife, you know? And I feel like that's just, like, that's just, like, a, and I would always be like, yo, what is that like to be, like, to live in Colombia during blah, blah, blah? And I'm like, well, I'm like, well you do, you, you lived, you did things, you know? It's, uh, you were still able to, the, the world didn't stop. It, I mean, just the world doesn't stop even, even, for, even for evil. The world continues. Let me follow up on that yeah. point. I find it interesting. It's... Uh, it's almost sad the fact that people are, I mean, I'm glad because I'm a person in this country, but it's almost sad the extent to which people can continue with their everyday lives, continue with business, continue getting educated and trying to make the best of it in this country, despite such bad leadership. <laughs> I mean, it's like people expected so little from their government anyway and yeah. and relied on the government so little anyway yeah. that they just continued with their lives one thing i think is good and bad is america is such a huge country yeah if we were sm much smaller mm -hmm. and this fucking dickhead was in there <laughs> we would feel the wrath much more that's possibly you know? true there's yeah. not there's like uh it's hard to police this place um and you we can tell just like the, what, the way in which the states go to war uh mm -hmm. right now yeah um and with the fed i feel bad that the Obama era, which was typified by people getting all gung-ho for public service again, has now been followed up by this, which reinforces everyone's cynicism about yeah. government, about what government is there to do. Yeah. Is, is, are they there to serve you or are they just there to steal from you and oppress you? 
Yeah. Yeah. Like if we were all, I think Andrew Yang uses this metaphor that we're all shareholders of this democracy, of this company. Are we getting good returns back for our investment right now? Or are charlatans in charge and they're frittering away our hard-earned money? They are doing that. I feel like there's still there's still some returns in terms of... I feel like personal safety and things like that. I mean... What, from, from, from who? The army? They're, they're headed the direction of, of a just complete, just like military state. I still think there are certain freedoms we enjoy here. Oh, uh, sure. No, I'm not saying throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. I'm saying it's difficult for people who want the country to be better than it is yeah. to fight the cynicism that is kind of reinforced by our daily news. Yeah. The, the struggle, I think, is to hold on and to fight for a better future because you just see over 400 years how the struggle's been beaten back. It's almost like we need to go back through... Uh, did you take NSL, National State and Local Government? I did, yes. It's almost like we all need to take that class again. Uh, yeah, I, and I, I actually <laughs> think that that civics education is not the same and it's not as good everywhere as it is no. here in the D.C. suburbs no. where lots of people's families work for the government, et yeah. cetera. There's kind of an inherent respect for the government. And, of course. And it's the, our local paper is the Washington Post. Yes. I, I think sometimes we take that for granted. Yes. That we speak more or less the language of government, like subcommittees and appointments and yeah. justices yeah. and, you know, cases. Yeah. Like, we know kind of just generally how these things work. And to your point, it's drastically important. It seems boring, but it's drastically important that we expand civic education and engagement. Let's start by making uh, voting day a national holiday. Yeah. And kids who can't yet vote, like, spend that day learning about the history of people fighting for the suffrage and maybe volunteering at polling places, whatever. Like, voting and representation in civics. And I think some people are really waking up to this. Stacey Abrams deserves so much credit. The New Georgia Project, and she's registering tons of people, bringing people into the political process, fighting against voter suppression, unsuccessfully in many cases, but... I would love to know the history on that because I feel like, uh, especially like uh, making voting um, a national holiday, I feel like back in the day, like founder time, mm -hmm. I feel like they might have just, they would have just shut down. Yeah, well, I think the reason it, voting is on a Tuesday has yeah. to do with our former market agrarian economy, where it was like uh. farmers were harvesting, and then on Sunday is like they go to church, and then on Monday they travel back from the market or something. I can't remember exactly what, how that works, but I think there's some very strange, arcane reason. I mean, Tuesday? Sometimes you get Monday off, sometimes Friday. Wednesday's hump day. Yeah. Tuesday is such a random, like... It, it is, it it's, is. It's a subtle, it's a subtle, whether it's intended as voter suppression or not, it's a subtle way, maybe unsubtle way, to just, like, shunt off a huge portion of the working population. And be like, nope, sorry. Yeah, it's, it definitely grew into that. So how do we make the country better? And, like, the bigger question, the more the deeper question is, like, is it worth it? Or, or like, should we just have our eyes open and just kind of understand who we're dealing with and try to take care of our, commu our own communities? Take care of our own community. Like, is the bigger project still worth fighting for? I do not know. Uh, I don't. I mean, as I said, I, I, I actually firmly believe that this, that this nation actually is too big. <laughs> I'm dead serious. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, because like I don't. Like too many people or too many territories with different cultural. I think, I think it's just too large. Too large of a, I think it's too large of a land. I too think large it, of a land mass. Yeah. I'm yeah. dead serious. It, it, I mean, because you have, you, because you can find it, you can find a part of this country where people are just like so not in tune with with whatever's, whatever somebody else, it, well, just anybody outside of that little village mm -hmm. that they're in, small yeah. towns, right. wherever, and they're just like, and to try to make policies that are going to appease them um, or try to get them, especially things that, that you would find, uh, I guess, like a no-brainer for people to have a moral compass. Um, yeah. I just don't think it's going to work. I mean, like, we're already, I actually think we should actually just transition and just actually call it a war. No, actually, no. I think we are <laughs> no. in a war. Yeah. Trans but I'm that's dangerous, partially because people who aren't on our side of the war have a lot of guns. Huh? I'm, not, know, trying to fight, I'm not trying to fight people. To the, they, they've been calling it a war for a long time. I know that. So if, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if it's wise for us to engage like that. You know, like, I, I, I'm a peaceful person. And I also think that our advantage has to do with ideas, logic, reason, creativity, things like that, that can't be won with guns and bullets. I'm not, but I, but I, 
I'm not even say, I'm not saying Bright Flow. I was, what I was saying is, uh, at least I won't say that on here. Uh, but, but, <laughs> but like, um, but I, but I, I, but I was talking, I was talking with my partner about this, and I was like, yo, I'm like, I'm like, honestly, why don't we, we should just be calling some of these things the Battle of, you know? I'm like, the, like the Battle of Charlottesville, and yeah, or the Battle of Portland, the Battle of Portland. You know, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, but that plays into their hands. I mean, I, I kind of think it's important to, in a way, I understand the desire to meet fire with fire right yeah. like when trump sends the department of homeland security people out to the streets of portland the desire is to meet them and not let them quote take over the streets but at the same time i think we understand and it's been reported that part of the reason this is being done is it's a made for tv show yeah I mean, they they want to show people framed as rioters and you know not, rather than social justice protesters and they, Trump wants to be seen as a heavy-handed law and order kind of father figure who's going to quash all this. So I think part of our requirement is not to engage in the language that they would like us to. But in other words, what I like is kind of the Mel Brooks way of like tweaking the powerful, making fun of them. Sarah Cooper, the woman who lip syncs everything that Trump says on, mm -hmm. on uh, Instagram, mm -hmm. I haven't actually thought about this before. I think that she is maybe the most important political comedian working right now. And she doesn't, she's using mime. It's incredible. Have you seen her work? No, I haven't. She mimes everything that Trump said, all of his most idiotic utterances. She takes them and mimes them out. And yeah. now, whenever she does this, people are always commenting on Twitter like, I can't even listen to Trump speak without seeing Sarah Cooper making fun of him. <laughs> that's, that's, that, there's value to that. That, I think, is really subversive, and I think it reaches people on a deep level. You know, if, if you come up with real satire or really biting subversive commentary on a leader, and it's true, even the neutrals, even the people who are in his camp will have to laugh. Like, yeah. humor is important. Creativity, music. If we do think that the bigger project is worth fighting for, I think we have to fight for it with what we're good at and these like very humane ways of reaching people. Yes. I, yes. Um, that's just one theory. I mean, I could be, I could be very Pollyanna-ish in espousing that. The, the humane, I mean, who's, who's got beef with humanity, you know? Who's got beef with, with people doing, with, well, like some people do, but I mean. Yeah, like, I mean, people who have been beaten down for a long time will say enough is enough, and I understand that. Um, and it's actually important. This is something else I think is cool. The intergenerational nature of the protests that are yeah. going on right now is like older people who have been through the struggle are now in a way there's new wind in the sails because there's younger people. Yeah. And the interplay between those two is really fascinating because older people know the lessons and they know what has not gone the way that they wanted to. So they often will tell the young people slow down, learn, be quieter. Meanwhile, the young people are unencumbered by all those losses that the older generations took. Yeah. So they just rush into the front with reckless abandon. Yeah. And both aspects need each other. Yes. If they can listen, if we can have intergenerational dialogue like between progressives, I guess, that I think could be quite important. That generation has changed some of them um, especially if we're, if we're just say if we're just focusing on race relations. Okay. There's certain people I know who are like, say like older, just say older black folk in my life mm -hmm. who had been preaching, um, been preaching nonviolence the majority of their life. Peace, you know. Mm -hmm. At at this point, they're like, fuck it, you know. Literally, like I've had like conversations with people. With, I'm like, I'm, I've heard them, and they'll be like. They're like, I don't see, they're like, we got nothing to lose, you know? I mean, and of course my partner's like, what are you talking about? You have everything to lose, you know what I'm saying? But they're like, yeah, but like, look what's going on. But that's just, that's just one, that's just one part of the dialogue. Those things do need to, yes, there needs to be intergenerational um, dialogue about like the best way to approach movements because we sure as hell know that the other side is definitely dealing with intergenerational dialogue. Yeah, you know, intergenerational uh -huh. nonsense. Exactly. Uh, Raising their children to believe anti-science bizarre race theory and you know eugenics yeah you know people who are greater than or less than oh my god eugenics i mean imagine if 
uh, imagine if just certain white Southerners just were not allowed to procreate, or just certain, you know, just like we, we just wouldn't. I mean, I mean, like that that would be weren't allowed to procreate. Now yeah. that that's sounding pretty bad, my friend. <laughs> you can't not allow people to procreate. That's, I, that's, all, that's all we're here to do. I mean, like that's eugenics. But I'm I'm saying like I'm just like turn it around. It's like you. Yeah, yeah. I see. Like, I've assessed the situation, and you cannot have a child. You know, <laughs> you can, uh, your theories are too, uh, too, but no, of course you can't do that. As we're talking, like, I'm not sure I even had a good answer to this, but I, I kind of think that one reason to stay in the fight for the greater project is because y- there are young people and subversives, even all over kind of the places in the country that we don't think of as progressive. And the reason I, I'm, I still think it's smart to humanely try to attract people over to the progressive way of thinking rather than to fight them into believing that is Mm -hmm. because I think people do sometimes allow ideas to marinate and they do maybe open up to them in time. I do think people are stubborn and in a lot of ways they don't change, but I also know at least within myself that I've taken in ideas that I maybe rejected at first or was repellent. I thought were repellent. And they stuck with me, mm-hmm. and I ended up not being able to run away from them. What are you, are you are you willing to share? Well, I don't actually necessarily have one that I just know that as I was a younger person, I was more sure that I was right more often. Oh yeah, and I was more stubborn. Yeah, I don't know and, shit anymore. And, right now, I think it's I never did. But. It, it, it's it's a it's a it comes. Not everybody does this, but if you're lucky enough to remain uh, humble as you get older. You learn, I, who sang this? Erica Badu sang it. I'm sure it's a quote from somewhere. The man who knows something knows that he knows nothing at all. Just yeah. let's like understand that there's a sphere of truth rather than two sides of truth. Isn't that a Socrates line or something like that? I don't know, probably. Uh, but keep going. Yeah. yeah. That, you know, I, I learned about that like when um, Slobodan Milosevic, the Balkan dictator, was killed. He was vilified so much in the American press partially to justify our, our involvement there. And I'm not saying it was right or wrong, but he, that was very much cheered in, a, in the United States. And I remember seeing a news report of people like weeping and crying over his grave. And I'm like, wow, we are all led to believe this guy is, you know, a modern day Hitler. And he may be, yeah. but to his people, he's the guy. So truth is in a way, at least opinion is very subjective, I mean, it's, it's tough to nail down an objective truth about anybody or anything, but that is, makes it more incumbent on us, I guess, to take moral stances and to say, yeah, this could be right or could be wrong, but I'm here to tell you that this is a value judgment based on my perspective and it's wrong. Oh, man. Like this is, has to do with so much with free speech. You know, yeah, you could say it, but should you say it? Is it right? Yeah. You know, you have the right to say anything you want, but you might make yourself look like an asshole if you say it. Or, or the speech can have uh, just irreparable con- consequences. Correct. You know? I mean, like, yeah, you can say, you can go out and say whatever you want. I get it. Well, you can't, actually. Certain things that we actually cannot say, but without, without having some sort of, like, clapback. But for the most part, you can just say what you want, so long as you're speaking about populations that nobody gives a shit about. Uh, <laughs> That's true. You know? Um, but you're right. Should, should, should somebody say those things? Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm not in a position. I don't think we should be the thought police or the speech police necessarily. I mean, p- talking about tech platforms is a different story because, and this is a whole nother podcast about people like Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook. They don't want to think of themselves as publishers. They want to think of themselves as a part of the public square. If they're a part of the public square, then everything that happens on Facebook is covered by the First Amendment. But if they're a publisher, then they're subject to things like libel and slander. And they would never... Uh, agree to those things and that would mean they'd have to do things like hire fact checkers and like actually make sure that things that are put on their platform are verifiable and not dangerous so they will not do that but i don't want us to be the thought police or the speech police but i also think that people like the writers of that cancel culture letter who want to just say whatever they want and then not get criticized for it and not have the potential of losing their jobs or losing their standing in society are kidding themselves Mm -hmm. what who is that letter to you think anybody who's going to, quote, cancel you is going to give a shit about anything you wrote in that letter? What letter are you referring to? There was a letter written in Harper's Magazine by a bunch of intellectuals, and I don't, I don't want to disparage them, but the point is, like, the point as I understood it was, and this has been a big debate in society, cancel culture, their, their point in writing that letter was to say cancel culture is bad, i.e., 
writers, intellectuals, authors should be able to put forward controversial ideas that not everyone agrees with and then not be pilloried for it. Was this was was this Harper's or Atlantic yeah, did this? Harper's. Harper's interesting. But and it has a lot to do with that Tom Cotton op-ed that ran in the New York Times. It said, send in the troops. These people are rioters. And staffers at the New York Times, particularly black writers, said, hey, this op-ed running in our paper, the paper of record, makes black people, including us, less safe. Yeah. We're, we're out here marching for civil rights, and we got a sitting senator saying, send in the troops. This did not need to be published. James Bennett, the opinion editor of the New York Times, lost his job because of that. So that, in some ways, in the eyes of people who thought that op-ed was ludicrous and should have never run, then that's a fine outcome. In the eyes of people who would say, oh, but Tom Cotton deserves to have this idea out there in the marketplace of ideas, cancel culture is bad. It's like, yeah, but think about the content of what this guy is saying. He's saying, let's bring fascist fascistic action of troops into the streets. That shouldn't be in the marketplace of ideas. New York Times, stop it. <laughs> it's, there's a whole internet full of garbage websites that are available to publish that. You don't need to do it. No. So now you have to deal with the consequences of it. Sorry. What if they believed it? Exactly. There's a kernel of even playing devil's advocate. There's a kernel of, well, okay, this is a valid viewpoint if it's going to run in the paper. So to pretend that that's fully objective in itself is not true. Anyway, the point... Wait, what do you mean? Say that again? Well, by including that op-ed uh -huh. in the paper, you are making a value judgment on it. Yeah. You, you have assigned value to it. You've said, this idea deserves to be considered by our readership. And we will be enriching our, our readership's understanding of the world by running it. Yeah. So what they're doing is exposing people to propaganda and people to very dangerous ideas that are now being edged into the so-called Overton window of acceptability. So Tom Cotton writes it. The media does a whole cycle about it. Now there are troops in the streets in more cities. So did you guys just get played? Did you continue to mo help move the ball down a road that should have never gone, been gone down? Man, I don't, I don't even want to try to... Uh, <laughs> ra ra I don't even want to try to wrap my head around, like, uh, I mean, serious in terms of what it... Uh, what it means to be a uh, a journalistic organization in 2020? Seriously, um, you know that's a that's a that's a that's a tough uh, that's a tough concept. Yeah, especially because they're also businesses. They are. They are. <laughs> so how do you uh, keep the doors open and contend with this moment? Yeah, they're businesses, and they uh, and they're filled with many different ideologies. You know, um, the publisher could have absolutely believed, hell yeah, send to the troops. You know, uh, I mean, they, that's that's it's without, without a doubt definitely could have believed that. I mean, especially especially if, uh, if bricks start going through the uh, th through the windows of that uh, of of uh, the Times Building, you know, um, they absolutely would believe that. Um, I <laughs> maybe, huh? Maybe. Well, what do you what do you mean? Well, I mean, I think that's a provocative, and I, I like I like your line of thinking there. Yeah, I, I think it's it's possible. I'm just <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to co-sign that. Oh, I wouldn't. No, I would. No, I mean, I wouldn't. I'm not going to. But I. I I'm not surprised that that um, that something like I'm not too surprised that that would end up in the New York Times, you know, because like especially like New York City, it's New York City. First of all, first of all, where do we get Trump from? Exactly. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He that's, ain't come from here. That's a pretty good. That, that's an important point to remember. Exactly. When you want to consider your monolithic idea of what New York is politically. Yeah. Yeah. Look what y'all gave us. You know. <laughs> look what y'all gave us. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And. It, it, you know, there's a lot in New York that is, is super wealthy, super conservative, or not even wealthy. You know, I mean, yeah. look, 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 masters of the universe. Exactly, more than wealthy. Yes. Yeah. They, 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 yeah. So, but no. But this is this is a, this is a larger indictment about basically how, like how how one should run a news organization and, and be and be mindful of of the content that they print. Um, and luckily, our hometown paper uh, does a better job of it. Yeah, but they're not perfect either. They aren't. But nobody is. Of course not. Nobody is. I was going to ask you. Does it make sense for us to pour a lot of energy right now into, the, into this country? No, no. Into the country, I think that's something we've been discussing. The, my question is the route. Let's assume that we do want to pour some energy into it and try to steer the ship ever so slightly towards waters that we, we like better. Is it worth, let me phrase it this way. Do you think it's a better route to invest in political roads forward or social roads forward or economic roads forward? Oh, got it. Like what... I, and I'm not. I don't think one answer is right or the other. I just think I'm. I'm curious where you think 
the most acute need is. Like, why can't groups tackle all three? Shit, they can. So, so where, where do you fall that fall in all this? Like, if you you know have a hundred percent of your being with which to make a change, like where would you invest your change making energy? Like tutoring a kid or donating money or advocating for a politician? Like, where do you think you would go? I think I might actually do economic. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. This that's like a, that's like nothing I actually thought I would ever want to. But I but I but I just know, even in our own lives, the way in which um, the availability of uh, access to resources can drastically change somebody's um, their vision of themselves, mm-hmm. um, how they navigate the world, and like can even find themselves at a place of like altruism. You know. Yeah. Um, but that's a war with like a, all right, for the social stuff. There's also like if you want to get like deep like it's psychology and stuff like that you know like the ways in which like beings view themselves and like and, and know how to and like self-respect and the respect of others and making sure that everybody has everybody has the same opportunities you know um uh not every not one person takes all and things like that i mean all of these things are i don't know i always i know i'm like i have i said i do economic but i think i might still still stick with the economic uh mainly because i feel like there's just a lot of people it's part of the social movement. Mm-hmm. There's enough, you know, there's, there's, they're not going to go away. There's, there, there's enough, but money is the problem. Uh, I, I feel like that sounds like a broad statement. Yeah. Money's the problem. No, I mean, that's uh, important because if we're spending all of our time on political and social sphere and we ignore the economic sphere, maybe we've missed the actual driver of it all. Not of it all. I mean, we're talking about lack of equality in all kinds of ways. But maybe underneath it all, if you don't deal with the economic inequality, like you will never deal with the rest of it. They have to be, they're like twins, you know, uh, fraternal twins. Yeah. Uh, they, like you can't like, you can't take one kid out without taking the other one out. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I mean, we watched, you, do you watch uh, Norma Ray? With I Sally haven't Field? seen it. Uh, uh, I, know, I, I know about the film, but. Amazing. She didn't hear one word I say. She doesn't hear you right now. Now, you know that happens, Norma Ray. It happens well, all the time. Well, it doesn't happen to my mama. It'll pass off. It's just temporary. Oh, well, that makes it okay. She's only deaf for one hour. She's only deaf for two hours. She's only deaf all day. She can get herself another job. What other job in this town? This is the only job. I'll give her a note. They send her home. Come on, mama. I don't care anything about you. Also, another sidebar. Sally Field, when she was younger. Sally Field, not playing around. (laughs) She was not not playing around. Uh, And neither am I. (laughs) Um, But, no, so I'm looking, so they're getting fucked by the textile, uh, by the textile industry. Right. You know, and... I'm looking, you see, it's, um, it, the movie was filmed in Alabama, I think the story, I can't remember this, where the true story is actually from, but I'm looking at, you see all these people, uh, black, white, poor, uh-huh. you know, and the way in which they are just getting, which, black, white, poor, which is like, which is our nation, you yep. know, mm-hmm. um, and they are getting shit on, and, and when, when the groups start to work with one another to try to defeat the corporation, the corporation drives division between the races. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you can't, like, when folks are going to use tactics like that, because that's a social tactic, Big you know? Time. You know, when folks and a political gonna, tactic. It is, it is. And so when people are going to do stuff like that, you know, you have to, you can't, it can't just all be, it can't all be one without the other. You know, I, I really think, I, I, feel, I feel like, pe- I feel like people, people in this nation don't even recognize that, um, you know, Obama always has that, always has that statement like about how he's he's traveled around the nation, he, and, and most Americans are generally good people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and like most people, most people want the same things. Um, and I don't think that, um, or I know that like so many groups do not think that their neighbor actually wants the same or deserves the same thing. Yeah. And 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 like if somehow through if I haven't lost complete hope, I think if. Uh, if we can cure that, you know, uh, like make make sure people recognize that um, that that neighbor actually does deserve that, um, I feel like that would be a better step forward. Um, 
This is just like hippie talk. Um, yeah, let's. We're in the woods. We might as well. Yeah, yeah. There's such a simple truth that I've been thinking about recently that it involves what you just said. Kind of understanding that your neighbor is you. The goals that you have for your life are the same goals your neighbor has for theirs, and your ceiling should be their ceiling. Your floor should be their floor. It's like this universal truth that that is actually smart for so many reasons to understand. Don't judge a book by its cover. How many times do we have to learn this? Yeah. That, you know, this person who looks like, you know, a beautiful bombshell blonde on the beach or something may be like the biggest video game nerd that you've ever met. Or, you know, this big, strong, muscle-bound dude on Venice Beach may be, you know, a classically trained violinist. People rarely, if ever, match up on their true inside selves with how they appear on the outside of their body. I mean, how many times have we ourselves looked in the mirror into our own eyes and thought, who is this person? Yeah. You know, like, is my soul, do I have a soul? Is it connected to my body? If we can get back to this kind of elemental thoughtfulness about our existence, but how do you bring people out of like the day-to-day world of cable news and lucky charms and all the other stimuli that you've got to like bring people back to the, the essence of it all of, which mean, is to, which is unity and togetherness the word that i like the word that i like a part of that is existence that's what i was thinking about it's like i don't know who, how religious you are or like listeners in terms of where they uh where they align themselves with religion but like personally i don't necessarily i don't know exactly what there is after this so if this is my one time during existence it's like do you really want to spend it with your fucking knee on somebody's neck, you know, like, I mean, like, or, or whole groups of people. Do you really want to do that shit? Is that how you, is that how you want to go out? You know, it's like, think about, like, why, why that's a, just such a waste. Such a waste, you know, it's such a waste. I guess that is your, I guess that's your, your MO. But like, to me, that just seems like such a fucking waste if this is all it is to, do, to, to focus on this, this minor ass bullshit. Oh, he's just, he's a different color than me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm like, or just like, it's like, well, get over these differences. Cause like, cause like, I'll tell you one thing, you know what I'm saying? That gravestone, them gravestones look the same. They're all gray, baby. <laughs> they look the same. Damn. They look the fucking same. And so, I don't know. I mean, I, I wish like, we haven't had, like, that's, we haven't had a voice in a, uh, at least a, a political voice yeah. that has been able to, um, you know what I'm saying, pierce through the hearts like uh, like we had from our last guy, you know? Uh, well, you mean the guy who sang Amazing Grace yeah, yeah, after yeah. a mass shooting at a black church? Like, he was the man for his time and place. You know he ain't come, you know he ain't come up with that. Somebody, <laughs> somebody, his, one of his faith-based... Uh, oh, go ahead, go sing. Yeah, one of his faith-based advisors told him, because I'm just like, I'm like, like nah. watch, I watched that a few watch, times. Watch this. I watched that I'm a few times. I'm going to bust it out on him. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like nah, I'm like, I, I, I ain't fooled here. <laughs> I'm not, but, I mean, like, we, um, I feel like that is a um, existence. We, we should focus on that. Um, that, is, that is a message that people need to, that people need to, to focus on. The, la- the last three minutes of some of the best things you've ever said on this podcast, I love that. And it reminds yeah. me that it's important that we, I think we got to elevate women into positions of leadership. Oh, yeah. Because, and that include like, I was just thinking, you know, if this is our, like you said, if this is our one chance at existence, do you want to go out with your n- knee on somebody's neck? It's like, do you think somebody's mother would do that? No. You think somebody who actually understood what it meant to bring a life into the world. I mean, men, you, you know, we have it easy. We, we impregnate somebody. If we're a nice person, we stick around and help them through the nine months. Then we watch them give birth. And then we get to have an heir. Then we get to have a kid. Women are the ones who know what it means to grow a life inside of them and then deliver. Yeah. Like, they deliver. Mm. <laughs> like, that is not easy. And then they nurture and the fact that, I mean, it's such a profound, like, Greek tragic thing that George Floyd called out for his dead mother. Yeah. And that... That's eerie. That really touched people. Touched the mom. My neighbor it, has, a, has a sign up about that. You know what I'm saying? Like, it it's, really, it's, like, that, it's so tragic, but in a way, like, he did, George Floyd actually did change the world with his life. 
You know, it's sad. I actually haven't watched the full video. It's not sad. You can do it or not do it. You understand it. Because like that's like when I read when I read the transcript, I'm just like like the you, that you part. I'm just it. like I'm like I'm like that just seems so unreal to me. I know. I'm like that you put this man to this place where where his last Yelp is this. I'm like I'm it, like what did you do? His last Yelp was whatever was the deepest thing inside of his soul, whatever he could call out that would save him, and it wasn't enough. So it's like a rec. It's time for a reckoning. We cannot have this anymore. So with, you're absolutely right. Uh, with with um, in terms of elevating in terms of elevating the people that first of all that brought us here. You know, uh, it's like it's like women create life. We're the, we're the ones who destroy it. Uh, you know, exactly. Like, like we're we're the ones who have the we have, we make all the decisions to destroy life and and also restrict their their ability. Short term and long term. Exactly. Exactly. Not that all women are perfect or that female leadership will solve all of our problems. That's not fair either, to destroy the world and then say, all right, women, come clean up the mess. Fuck it, we've tried everything else. Exactly. And we've never really tried female leadership. I mean, not in this country. No, we haven't. No, we haven't. So what's cool is, I mean, back to the political sphere, I think there's a lot of reasons that people are... Some people are excited about Biden. Some people aren't excited about Biden. I think the fact that he's going to pick, has promised to pick a female running mate, is important. What, is, what do you think people are so afraid of when it comes to like just whip, like women leadership? I think it's endemic of the culture. I think if the culture disrespects women and the culture is misogynist and elevates men over women over and over every day in ways subtle and unsubtle, it filters all the way down. Would you, know? you want to go into an office with just all white dudes? I mean, most, most offices are. But but does that is, is, is like in in Dan Bloom's company would that excite you? Me personally? Yeah. No, I love women. Exactly. Let's and have it, a board well, room with just all men. But you know, hang we, out all day. We <laughs> not everybody has a good relationship with their own mother. I think a lot of people's biases and hatred of women is wrapped up in their own kind of psycho personal psychodrama, and we also obviously have a problem not just as a country, but uh, did you watch uh, Marriage Story? Yeah, I did. Laura Dern's speech about how um, Mary has to be perfect and like women have to be perfect like Mary. Mary, Mother of Jesus, and she's perfect. She's a virgin who gives birth, unwaveringly supports her child and holds his dead body when he's gone. And the dad isn't there. He didn't even do the fucking. God is in heaven. God is the father and God didn't show up. So you have to be perfect and Charlie can be a fuck up and it doesn't matter. You will always be held to a different, higher standard. And it's fucked up, but that is the way it is. I forgot about that. I yeah. forgot about that speech. Yeah. So I think there's this whole thing in Western Christian-led tradition, not exclusively Christian, let's say Judeo-Christian. And, I mean, I don't want to criticize Islam either, but it's all male-dominated. Yeah. So it comes from the book. You know, my, th- my, th- I always, uh, my theory in religion is, religion is man's last chance to control women. <sighs> But I just, I'm like, I'm like, I don't see, well, I don't see how women get a fair shake out of that. No, of <laughs> I don't see what, 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 what the benefit is there. With, you know, I'm like, I'm like, who wrote this? <laughs> I'm like, I get it, I get, yeah, like, do not let kill. Me, and like, go, we should be reading uh, Amazon reviews of the Bible. I bet that's very interesting. Oh wow, wow, like, about, that's that's little, that's probably like a Bezos pastime. A little violent for my taste. <laughs> exactly, but I mean, uh, yeah, you're 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 absolutely right. You're absolutely right. It's so sad that like, uh, I I I think. In terms of uh, political leadership, of course, people didn't think Hillary Clinton was was uh, was perfect, but th- this region alone, we missed out on a chance of a flood of women-owned businesses, good point, women-owned organizations, just like w- women power yep. rushing here the same way, the same way colored power rushed here when Obama won, right? You know, and, yeah. and, and and it's like we had a chance, yeah, and that, and. I'm concerned that chance will never come back around, you know? I got three letters for you. A-O-C. She, yeah, yeah. If, if we can keep her alive, you know? The <laughs> way these motherfuckers are, I don't... Yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> hey, 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 Ted Yoho, keep your distance, bro. Exactly. Ten feet at minimum. Like, you cannot roll up to a sitting member of Congress, let alone somebody who's that famous and that good of a communicator, and call her a fucking bitch. In public, in front of the press. If you were at a corporation, in any corporate office in America, you'd get fired for that. Not all. Not all. But if there was a legitimate HR department, like, the fact that you can just do that in Congress is 
mind-blowing and, I guess, indicative of kind of the state of discourse in America. Yeah. Okay, for him to do that, it just shows, like, the, the, level, of, uh, the level of reduction that he uh, implements in his thinking towards that person, you know? Because uh, she's just so low to him, you know? Uh, like she just, he's, tri- he's triggered. Huh? He's triggered. Yeah. Like everybody else who watches Fox News. He hates Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in the same way that they hated Hillary Clinton. This hatred of women is like so toxic. And it's great that she called it out. It sucks that she had to. And then his response to that was, oh, she's making hay of it. As in she's fundraising off of it. And she's making it a bigger deal than it really is. It's like, hey, Ted, take the L. Stop talking. Yeah. You're only digging the hole worse. And it, his word doesn't even matter because he's retiring. He's not even running for re-election. <laughs> this guy's just out here looking like a tough guy shouting down like a, a, a freshman lawmaker to seem like a cool dude in the eyes of his friends. Like, honestly, at the club or whatever he belongs to. That's why he did it. Yeah, I think he's genuinely pissed. You know, I mean, like, uh, doesn't doesn't mean that his thinking was, was, was in the right. But, I mean... It, when people use use language like that, they got nothing else. Yeah, they got nothing else. Like like that's like you are pretty much you've been beaten. You know anybody who's ever like been dragged put to, pushed to that place, it's like you got nothing. You know, <laughs> like you got nothing. That's why you do that. Well said. You know, and so she. I mean, she got him. She got him. And so I guess like all right. So we've the, the narrative arc of this of this conversation has been uh, bumpy like these old woods. You yes, know, but yeah. we've touched a lot of different things. But I feel like one of the things that we've landed upon is that you're right we need to do more to help women leadership and put them in places of power uh because this cannot continue uh and and i hate to make it seem like this is, this is the realization of 2020 you know this, this is not the realization of 2020 <laughs> i think i just think that we you and i and everybody should be doing more to uh, to do, I mean, there's like there's no reason why Joe Biden should be our our, our guy, you know. I mean, like, but I'm, I, won't, I, won't, I won't get into that. He's fine for now, huh? We'll take it, you know. <laughs> we, we we got to. Yeah, yeah. I'd take Bush Senior, you know. Um, <laughs> slow down. He was the head of the CIA. That guy's got a lot of stuff on his conscience. I, I, we could have a whole episode about Biden. We don't have time for it, but yeah. I do think, in a way, he's kind of the perfect antidote to Trump and what Fox is trying to do because all they have is misogyny, hatred of women, xenophobia, hatred of immigrants, and racism, hatred of black people and other people of color. Biden is like Mr. Suburban working class white guy, uh, roots in Scranton, Pennsylvania, crucial swing state, like tons of government experience. He's like uh, the glass of milk. Yeah, and also he's he's been dragged through life. Absolutely. And so if there was ever a moment for like, there was a great article in the New York Review of Books called the National Mourner or the Mourner in Chief. Like how many moments of public mourning Joe Biden has had to preside over and go through. Uh And look, we got 150,000 of our countrymen dead needlessly. So if there was ever a time for somebody who had the capacity to like mourn and lead us through some actual processing of grief, I think Biden is is quite a profound person to be on the ticket right now i'm gonna do his own personal life i know yeah yeah i mean yeah. i'm aware yeah <laughs> and it's but it's all tangled up he's also run for president multiple times and lost how many times has he run twice okay at least maybe more so you know it, he's a story of resilience and hopefully a reconciliation i mean this guy did champion and vote for the crime bill in the 90s so he's got penance to make but maybe a lot of people have penance to make. Like maybe he's a symbol for, he is kind of in a way, he's in his 80s or late 70s. He is one of the last kind of public vestiges of this generation of politician. So he is an opportunity in a way to like not make amends, but kind of close the chapter of this generation of politicians gracefully. Yeah. yeah. Because if you close it with Trump, it's really a bad mark on this entire generation of political actors, especially Republicans. Well, if you, well, if, if you close it with Trump, this isn't the country anymore. Well, we're already, as we talked about in this conversation, we're already devolving into a collection of states or, reg- yeah. or, or regions. Yeah. But, you know, maybe, maybe Biden is a person who actually has enough of this gravitas and enough of this vision, right or wrong, of 
what America could be. But look, let's bring it down one level from this, because I want to end this conversation on like the more practical, realistic, like we all, there's a hundred days as we're recording this, there's a hundred days left of the election. So that is a huge issue. And a lot stems down from that. Yeah. But if we put all of our effort into the federal government or even the state government, we're missing the point. So like, I think it's important that we all dig in and have important um, check-ins with each other, with ourselves to recommit ourselves to like our values and understanding what needs the most help now. So reaching back to the younger generation, helping open doors for people when we can, being humane, seeing people and understanding that they have gone through life experiences that we haven't, being slower and more patient. Like, I think we have a lot of actions to do, both big and small. And also, with all those things, also realistically preparing strategically for when Trump tries to steal the election. What that actually looks like from the local level to the federal level. Because, no more surprises, prepare for it. Yeah. You know, prepare for it. it best to be safe. <laughs> I, I think you're right. I mean, you, you told me you wanted to talk about this before we started recording, and I thought it was a somewhat... I, I, I mused with the idea, is this hyperbole? And I actually don't think it is. No. Um, look, at, look at his actions thus far. We're, we're way beyond. Yeah. Look no, at his actions. I, I think you're right. I think it, better safe than sorry. It's like climate change. Yeah. We could transform our energy system and... You know, if we did save the environment that we're living in, we wouldn't necessarily know how bad it could have gotten. Yeah. And that is fine. Exactly. So let's... Let's stop being caught off guard. To your point. And, you know, this goes also goes back to the really boring stuff about civic education, volunteering as poll workers, like understand, pushing our elected officials to embrace vote by mail, which Maryland's governor has gone back on, by the way. Yeah. They were like, oh, it was too hard of a system for the primary. We're going to run voting in person. Are you mad? So we've talked about the big, and I talked about some of the small. If you were going to be a counselor for yourself. Mm -hmm. If I was going to be a counselor for myself. Yeah. I want you, I want to hear the three things, and this is not just for you, this is for the audience and for me. I want to hear the three things that you would recommend to do to kind of keep moving forward and, and stay strong within this time for yourself and what can you do to bolster the community that you the communities that you're a part of and that you care about? Um, be well read. Um, be patient and be thoughtful. Is that all right? That's beautiful, and all that's right. that's for self or that's for external? Huh? That's for self. Yeah, that's for self. But I think I think external would would benefit from that too. Um, you know, the, the, the be thoughtful part. Uh, we could we could we could use that, you know, you know. I mean, like Stephen yeah. Miller, be thoughtful. <laughs> I'm I'm wasting my time talking to you, Stephen. But uh, you know, uh, but but how about for yourself? Yeah, I think some of the things I said already. It's like be patient, understand that people have different life experiences that have that have led them to different perspectives than you maybe have, and to try to understand all sides of the sphere of truth that we talked about, and that's part of it, right? Being very gentle and doing no harm and trying to bring people along with you. And the other side that has become clearer to me during this very conversation is know when to say enough is enough. Know when to call it what it is. You know, I I printed out the definition of fascism just so we could read it. Did you read it? This is what fascism is. A political philosophy, movement, or regime that exalts nation and often race above the individual, and that stands for a centralized autocratic government headed by a dictatorial leader, severe economic and social regimentation, and forcible suppression of opposition. So let's not hide our heads in the sand. Let's understand what we're dealing with here. We have federal troops in the streets already, and we have an election 100 days away. So you put it together. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like on the small side and internally, be patient, be loving, understand that we're going through an unprecedented time in any of our lives. So we're going to have to work together and listen and take steps that feel small but are important day by day. And on the other side, it's like keep your eyes open. Keep your alliances with your community members strong and try to reach back for others and help open the door for them. Kanye would never let the country slip like this. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And let's all follow the the example of John Lewis um, 
in being the best version of ourselves and really standing up for something that matters. And getting in good trouble. Good trouble. I mean, he was the guy. He was the best example we have of what it means to actually, like, really be American. Like, really stand up for this thing that doesn't quite exist yet. I did have a question. I know we got to wrap up. I was, I was looking. Do you think John Lewis kept that raincoat or he bought a new one? It was pretty nice. It looked like a newer raincoat. But that was pretty brilliant when they, he, had, he cosplayed himself. I was looking at it. I was like, I don't, I don't trust you. Uh-uh. <laughs> That's not authentic. That's not authenticated. Um, so how do you want to close this out? I also want to say, in addition to big love to John Lewis and remembering his example, that I just think it's so cool what the New York Times and Nicole Hannah-Jones did with the 1619 Project. Because that has to do with that last thing I just said of like calling it what it is, knowing when enough is enough. That was a deeply scholarly and journalistic and historical work that helped people understand this country did not start in 1776. This experiment did not start in 1492. Like if you want to get a real clear view on what this thing is that we're living through, it's 1619. The first slaves arrive in America. That's when the story starts. Slavery is not some tangential other part of the story. It is the story. And that framing has pissed off the Republicans and the right wing so much. Like the only reason you have to imagine it's pissed them off so much is because it's so close to the truth. <laughs> so I, I just respect that. And I've been thinking a lot about that. So like take care of yourself, take care of each other and call it what it is. Agreed. All right. Love you, bud. Love you too. All right. Love you, Rock Creek. <laughs> we'll see you soon, Rock Creek. <laughs> All right. <laughs>